Hi everyone, and welcome to Happy Paws, presented by FearFreeHappyHomes.com. Happy Paws is a podcast by pet lovers for pet lovers. We take a scientific and evidence-backed approach to helping you understand your pet on a deeper level. On this special episode, we'll have two guests who worked with Dr. Marty Becker, founder of Fear Free, to help aid the pets fleeing the Ukraine conflict. Our first guest is Alexander Sava from Sava Safe Haven a family-run shelter in Romania that has been instrumental in saving Ukrainian refugees' pets. So Alex, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I want to say that my English is not perfect, so I'm sorry if I make any mistake. Oh, you sound wonderful. You sound great. So it's just such a joy and it's pretty amazing to have you here. I know it's about nine o'clock on your end at night. Isn't that right? Yes. Maybe the hours that I'm, I'm most available. <laughs> I'm now uh, very, um, very busy to prepare a transport to Ukraine because Friday me and my brother will go to Ukraine. Oh, you'll be going to, I, yes. I would love to hear more about that. So, so tell, tell me, first of all, about you. I know that you are very young, but you've done so much in your lifetime to help pets. So tell us about you and about Save a Safe Haven, if you would. Yeah, I'm 25. Next month, I, I'm going to be 25. And Save a Safe Haven, it's a, a project by 10 years. It's a family shelter. And now we are having about 300 animals. Mostly of them are rescued from the street, from the villages. And it's, it's a family shelter because everyone in my family is involving in, in that. It's, it's awesome to help animals. It's very hard, very tired every day, but uh, it's what I love most to do. So what inspired you to create Save a Safe Haven? It's... Um, Maybe it's something that my parents gave to me, the love uh, of animals. And I, I will, uh, always wanted to be a veterinarian. My, my big dream was to be a veterinarian, but because the um, university is not here in Galatz, I prefer to, to remain here and just be a nurse, but to continue to save animals. And uh, it was happened 10 years ago. I told the story about how Savasi Heaven started because everything started from two dogs, from Bazooka and Mickey. And everything started because we know how difficult it is here in Romania to have animals and how difficult it is for people that don't have enough of funds, enough of money to, to look after the animals. It's very difficult for them. And this is why I wanted to create a shelter that will always have their doors open to to all the people that need help and to have always help for us that animals i love that so from two dogs to now you said about 300 right now yes and more because That's i have a amazing. lot of ukrainians animals i actually have one in my bed now it's from ukraine and his name is ricky and he he must go to his uh, family because his family was needing to travel to Germany about three weeks ago. And uh, because of their small child, it was impossible to take their pets with, with them. So they decided to let the dog here. So we are going to prepare him to give him a 21-day quarantine. And after that, we are going to, 
to send him in Germany to to make it with uh, his home. Oh, that's wonderful. So he'll be back with his family then. Yeah, he have uh, about um, 18 more days to wait because the quarantine was uh, longer than actually is necessary. But uh, these are the laws and it's more important for him to be safe. Absolutely. So I can only imagine you must be such a godsend in that situation for everyone that's being displaced from Ukraine to come out and to have that, just that fear of what's going to happen he's with tricky. the potential of being separated from their family. There he is. He's a li- he looks like a little Yorkie. Yes, he is. <laughs> oh, he is so cute. I can see how his family just must yeah, miss him he's so much. And having his uh, Russian name here. And oh, his family, I it's, love it. it's uh, waiting for him. He, I, I never keep them in quarantine in my home because I have a quarantine in shelter. But Ricky is special because he's very afraid to stay alone. Because of the war situation, he's very afraid to, to remain alone. Because I think in his heart, he, he's afraid that someone will abandon him. So this is why I need to take him almost everywhere. <laughs> So oh, to make sure he looks like fine. he's he looks very very attached. So so tell me what what is it like for animals that are being displaced or or what is it just like for animals like Ricky? I'm sure you you encounter all kinds of situations and different circumstances. But can you give us an idea of what it's like for pets coming in from Ukraine? Mostly of them are very afraid. All animals that are coming here are afraid. Also, they have a lot of medicine problems. Because in Ukraine, there is a country with a huge rabies problem. Like Ricky, he's lucky because he got vaccination in Ukraine because their family was a wealthy one. And so he got all the care needed. But usually, the people that are coming in Romania are not so wealthy. They don't have enough of money for their pets. So most of them, maybe 80% of the animals coming here are not vaccinated. They have never been vaccinated so it's it's terrible for them because uh, they need to be quarantined and it's very stressful situation because they are going from their homes comfy homes to to a shelter whereas they had a lot of sons and most of them have a big problems because they are very shy they're afraid of people they're afraid of new places and it's it's very important for for us to give them more space and uh, a better better care so we are going to make him feel more com- comfortable in the shelter i have a dog from ukraine that unfortunately had a heart attack because he was suffering so much after their home it was terrible for him he was not eating he was not drinking and he didn't want to make anything he was just sitting in the crate and didn't want to move he was in a shock and I tried to, to make him feel comfortable. I moved him in a room that looked like a home, but it didn't help with him. That animals are used to, to stay with their families. And once they come here, it's a very stressful situation. If people are also in the same situation, but we are humans and maybe you are having another way of thinking and animals don't have that. They don't know what is going on with them. I have a lot of dogs that are coming from a part of Ukraine that was a lot of war and they come with many wounds they and it's very hard for us 
to see so, so many animals suffering. Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine that. That's just something you would never think you'd have to face. And to be uh, like, what, what a big blessing for those animals and for their families that you're there to be that go-between, to be able to help them. So for, for a lot of the pets that are coming in, how many of them are being temporarily displaced from their families? So taken away from their families, but with hopes of being reunited, uh, like something like with Ricky, where he's gonna be able to be with his family in Germany, or maybe they are waiting for the right setup. How many are, are waiting to go back to their families and how many are you looking at adopting out and needing to rehome? Half of the animals that I have now are going to be reunited with their um, families. Mostly of the families are um, both staying here in Romania in the shelters, in the municipal shelters where pets are not allowed to, to stay. So they decide to let animals in your shelter and they are visiting them. But also I have many families that are in Ricky position, like they are going in other countries and in other countries where it's necessary to have vaccinations for animals, to have a quarantine. So they prefer to keep the animal here and we are going to prepare them. So we are going to send to the families once they are uh, available to, to travel. But also I have many animals from shelters, from Odessa, from Nikolaev, that was very affected by, by the war. So they send us uh, the animals here, mostly seniors and puppies, because they, they are the, the most innocent one and they don't have any change to survive. The seniors are having heart problems because of the big sons and the puppies, because of the lack of vaccinations, they are coming with parvo and uh, distemper. So this is why they decide to send here. And it's very important for us to keep them in quarantine, to make sure that Savas uh, Heaven animals will not suffer because you are going to save animals from Ukraine. Because you need to also think of the animals from Romania first. Wow, so, so that's a, a big burden on you, but how amazing that you are able to be there and to, to take that like all important role. I, I can't imagine that, as you mentioned, like the, the big sounds that they're exposed to, some of the animals are wounded. What is the emotional toll that you've seen on pets because of the war? Well, there are many, many animals that are coming here and many, many people that make us like shock. It's, it's a huge shock for, for us to see them like that. There are also a lot of people that told us that many animals, their own animals remained in Ukraine. So for, for us it's terrible. A lot of animals also died because of the war. There was some cities in Ukraine that was using animals for um, military, maybe military exercises. There was a lot of terrible pictures and a lot of videos and um, it, it's, it's super terrible. And you get that news uh, direct on the border when people are coming. So I, I don't want to watch the news. I prefer to, to get what is real from the, from the people directly. And so what is your feel that you've been getting from the people directly? Well, <laughs> they're, they're afraid. All the news are terrible. I, I also want to mention that many people are going, are decided to come, to go back in the Ukraine. I cannot believe why they are doing that, but mostly of them 
are because they are very afraid for the relatives that are still in Ukraine. Because only women and um, kids can come outside. And I think the, the fear for the relative, for the husband, for the brothers, dads, and they are going back in Ukraine. They always say, I'm afraid to go back, but I cannot leave them alone. I want to get news from them. I don't know anything new, so I want to go back and find my husband, my dad, and this is terrible for me. Wow, gosh, I can't, I just can't even imagine. So, so in that circumstance, have you been taking care of pets as well for those people that are going back into Ukraine? Yeah, there, there was a lot of people that uh, are still in Ukraine, but wanted us to look after their um, pets here in Romania because it's more safer. There was a man, that contacted me in in March when when the war started it was second March I think and he asked me I have three husky and two cats I am a, a man I cannot go outside Ukraine I need to to protect my country but I'm afraid something will happen to me and I will not feed my animals so please look after my animals until the war is over and it was it, it was maybe one of the most shocking the case because he was in, in, in the war, but he was thinking of his animal first. Uh, it makes me like tear up. That's just so emotional. I can't even imagine being in that position where you, yeah, you, you don't know if you're going to make it and you're worried about your pets. And yeah. I'm sure you just see so much emotion every day with the pets and with the animals and the people that you're working with. Like, wow, how, how, do, you, how do you handle it? Well, it's, um, it's very complicated. In the first uh, days of the war, there was a huge number of people coming over here. And it was, it was very stressful. Most of them was not speaking with us because was uh, everything was new and was scary. They didn't know who to trust, who not. And they was not speaking with anyone. So they was like, didn't want any help. They did not want to speak with anyone. But now people uh, started to see that we are going to help them. And they are more comfortable with us. And they start to speak more with us at the border. But also, I still keep in touch with many people that I helped at the border because they are still sending me messages. They are still sending me news about them and their animals. And maybe this is the reason that I, I'm still coping it because I know that I helped so many animals and so many people and I make a lot of friends. This is one of the reasons I'm going Friday in Ukraine because uh, since the war started, I helped so many volunteers, so many shelters. And now I, I make my passport together my brother and I'm going to Ukraine to meet that people and to see the dogs that remain is there and see how I'm going to help them in future. Because it's very necessary to never stop helping them. Even the war is over. I still need to help them to, to rebuild everything, like shelters, like their homes. And this is why I'm going to Ukraine to meet them and to plan how are we going to help them in future. Wow. So, so do you think for those dogs and for those cats, do you think that you will, will be trying to set up a type of care over there in Ukraine, thinking about bringing them over? What, what are you thinking? Well, I'm, I'm uh, thinking that uh, I need to take um, the sick animals outside here in Romania because uh, there are not so many doctors that are still left in Ukraine. I'm going to let animals that are healthy there. 
and provides them what is necessary for them to have a long care and to have a, a good life and comfortable life how is possible there but i'm going to take only the sick ones the seniors the and the puppies because um, their changes of life are very low now i cannot take everyone even people uh, think that maybe maybe it's not good that i i choose it's it's very complicated for me to say you are coming you are not it's very complicated for me i cannot choose better when i every every dog deserve a change and i want to take them out but it's impossible for me so this is why i need to choose who needs to be coming outside first i i remember seeing pictures of just it was it thousands and thousands of pounds of dog food that you were sending over to ukraine yes. is that right so yeah being able to provide care even across the border that's amazing what you've been able to do. So trying to take care of dogs on, on both sides. So in Romania, in Ukraine, um, same thing for cats. It's just incredibly inspiring. And I can't even imagine that, like you said, like trying to make those those choices that are, are necessary. You only have so much ability um, at the time to do, and you're doing everything that you can. And that's just incredible. So, so what are some ways that people can get involved? How can we help? There are so many that, uh, ways that people can help. Most of all, is the huge need now is adoptions because unfortunately it's very hard for us to get more animals in the shelter because we are having a lot of dogs that are healthy and um, ready to go in a home, but there are no adoptions. So it's very hard for us. You need um, We need more homes for, for the dogs you are having. And also we are needing... Um, donations for uh, for continuing to to send aid in ukraine because i'm sending a transport every week and there are huge cost because uh, it's not only the food and medicine what you are having to pay for transport because it's very hard to find volunteers and even there are volunteers there it's um, a big a big um, cost for for the gasoline for the transport and uh, it's very complicated for us. Uh, I know that in the first weeks I was needing to pay 1000 euros for transport to Odessa. So it's huge, a huge cost, but it was the only transport I found in time and uh, a transport that really get to, to the place I need. Well, we definitely want to be able to send people to your website to be able to give you donations. So where is the, how can people find where to donate to you? They can find Savase Heaven on any social media. And also there is a website, it's savaseheaven.com. And there it's so easy to donate in any currency and in any way, way possible. They also can send I direct to the shelter in Romania. And uh, every single dollar, every single toy or bag of food, it's a huge help and is gratefully accepted. I know my dad, Dr. Marty Becker, during his time with you there, he just raved about you, raved about everything that you're doing. I know, as you said, every dollar counts. Every dollar is going to helping these pets. And it's just such a, a direct evidence that you can see. And I just am so in awe of you, inspired by you, and definitely feel that, that call myself to try and help. Um, so I know on my end, I'm hoping to be able to actually 
go with my dad at some point to be able to come there directly and help. And in the meantime, definitely trying to support you financially and uh, also in terms of adoption. So for someone that's outside of Romania or outside of Ukraine, how does someone like is that is that a possibility to look at adopting an animal from there? It's, it's possible to adopt in um, in any country if there is a transport available. Like in, um, unfortunately, England was uh, the main country that we are going to, to send animals. But now with the Ukraine situations, they close their doors. So they are no longer accepting animals from, um, from Romania and Poland. So all adoptions are dropped to zero. There are no adoptions at all. So people from um, Germany, from United States, they are still uh, still able to adopt, but uh, the big problem is the transport. So if they are planning to come, uh, like uh, see Romania in the next future, they can adopt a dog from us, and they can take their their dog uh, back uh, home. Well, I hope for anyone hearing that, if you feel that tug on your heart, that that's something you will think about. I know just from seeing the videos and the photos, there are so many just dogs that just oh, just spoke to my heart just looking at them. So I I definitely hope that that someone hears that call and will will heed that and and bring their their next best friend home. So. It, uh, lastly, I just want to finish with with why is it so important to be caring for animals during a time of human suffering. And I know that us as humans, like, you know, that love animals, it's easy for us to get it. But for someone who's looking at, okay, the war, it's, you know, it's so difficult already. There's so much human suffering. Why care about pets? And what would you say to that? Well, it's very important for people from Ukraine now are very stressed. They are very afraid. They are feeling alone. They don't have anyone. Just imagine yourself going from your home in another country without anyone, with your relatives still there in the war. So this is why it's very important for them to feel more comfortable. And if they are taking their pets with them, it will give them maybe a reason to smile because they, they will still feel like they are still a family. This is why you are going to help them with their pets because it's very important. I know that they're... There was a lady with so many animals. She was alone. She didn't have anyone, like any sister or brother. And she came here with their pets. And she was so happy to get help for their pets because um, she didn't have a lot, a lot of money. She didn't have anyone to help her. So she was very happy that she was uh, receiving help, like food, crates for their pets. And it was a reason for her to smile. This is it's important for, for that people to, to be helped, not only for them, but for their animals. Because everyone, I want to be a friend with a Ukrainian woman or a child. I cannot be their pet. <laughs> they are feeling more friendly with their pets than a person that they, they never seen before. This is why they are needing to stay together. And if they are not getting help, the charities need to do that. Because mostly of the shelters that um, uh, authorities provide are not accepting pets. And it's terrible. They need to stay together. It's both important for the humans, but also for the pets. They need to stay together. So, Alex, I know it's been a couple of months since you saw my dad, Dr. Marty Becker, who visited you there at Sava Safe Haven. And I wanted to have a little bit of a reunion with you, too. So... 
here is my dad. So dad, you're back oh and reunited with Alex. <laughs> I, I, I have to say a little bit about how this happened. So I was sitting in at home. Mikkel's um, daughter, my granddaughter, Reagan, went to lunch with my wife, her, Mikkel's mom, Reagan's grandmom. They were gone two hours and they came back and I had a ticket to Romania. And I won't say exactly what she said, but <laughs> it was after 45 years of marriage, she really kind of, uh, my God, you're not going to be safe. And, and this is a knee jerk reaction. You just did this. Luckily, thank you, Alex, because I was a little nervous. I've been a, a global traveler, but was a little nervous about going over there. And you and your dad, your sweet dad, picked us up in Bucharest at a ho downtown hotel and took us over to, I'm probably going to say this, Galatz, and then to our hotel, and then out to save a safe haven out in the country, and then escorted us to the border over there, uh, where we got to actually witness the pets coming across there. But you you and your dad had me at hello. Uh, how, how would you describe your dad to people so you have like a sprinter van, this white van that you use for your business. They see you. Describe what your dad looks like. <laughs> well, he may he may look like a, a very angry and <laughs> man, but he's so special. He is one of the most kind person I ever know. I always told you that if there is a shy dog or a very scared dog, if I cannot uh, catch it, he will make some magic and he will catch it in a minute. <laughs> he is very kind and he has some things that um, not many people have. He have a big heart and he loves humans. He loves uh, he loves animals and it's it's very special. Even he's a big uh, uh, boy, <laughs> and many people there will be afraid go. of his Fine. look like. But uh, he's he's a very kind uh, man. Well, he has a big heart and a big body to hold that big heart. I, w I think I teased right off the bat. The Beckers are teasers. And I said, he looks like one of these f football hooligans that, you know, the Russian team comes in and he's representing the Romanian hooligans and they have it on the street because he's a, he's a big guy. But yet, I, I think the first glimpse I saw when we were headed from Bucharest to uh, Galatz, we stopped at, I remember, at a little, what would be like a convenience store right off the highway and of course you and your dad are immediately drawn i didn't realize that every little stop had dogs with it at that point because that was our first stop outside the city then I, later i realized that every place she has a white spot in the road where you stop there's some there's some dogs live there dogs and cats and i watch you open the back and your dad and getting out foods and treats and and your, your dad coming up in this kind i don't know how to describe it but a gentle giant just so kind with them and he smiles so broadly when he interacts with them and, and you know you you have what a lot of people don't realize in the united states it's not like how many people live in glotz that uh, major i think town they are there? having maybe three hundred thousand. i think but but you what they don't realize there's not a lot of infrastructure so like you have i know at one time right before we got there they were trying to bring 700 dogs across from ukraine into into Romania and then they had shut it off or I think they were allowing five dogs per day and these dogs have to be quarantined. Uh, Ukraine is not rabies free. Romania and Moldova are rabies free. 
So they have to be coordinated. Where do you, there's not like there's a bunch of boarding facilities or a bunch of veterinary hospitals that have extra cages. There's not places you take your pets for daycare. And so what uh, Alex does and her family, let's say somebody comes that have relatives in the UK, but they can't take their pets. They take care of their pets. There's somebody that can take these two family members, but they can't take the pets. Save us takes care of their pets, plus pets that are just coming across that need need uh, to be quarantined. So you're a non-governmental, non-profit, save as your last name, family-run thing. I was there. I mean, it is a family operation that's kind of coin-operated. You guys get a little money, you do more. Then it starts to wind down. You got to get a little more money and you go a little bit further. What's it been like for you to, to with everything you already had, with keeping pets sterilized, homeless pets, pets that didn't have medications. What's it been like now since Ukraine war started three months ago? A lot of work. <laughs> it was a lot of extra work. And, uh, but because it's a family shelter, you are, we made a them. Like today I was going with my brother to the border and my mom and dad was going to the shelter. And next day was, um, um, my me and my brother going to the shelter and my mom to the border so we are going to make uh, together but it, it's difficult but now thankfully there is the veterinary intent at the border so they helped us very much and they gave us a helping hand because they are there uh, all the day so it's very easy for us to to cope with everything but we are still getting animals a lot of animals and um this is why I want to go to Ukraine to see how I'm going to, to make in future. Because it's very hard for me to do all the things together. And I want to find a solution to make it, uh, to make the work more easier and more, um, and, and better than is it. I, I saw, so I was there when we went to the border and your van is loaded. So you're, you're not, you're helping pets and people. So there's, there's diapers, there's wet wipes, there's formula, there's baby food, there's collars, there's leases, there's food, there's medications, and there's a shortage of everything, really. There's not enough uh, of the things, like, you know, desperate to get parasite control, desperate to get things to stop animals from vomiting and diarrhea. Um, like, you went there yesterday. Was that yesterday or today to the border? I'm, I'm, I'm there almost every day. I was uh, yesterday also, and today I was for, for a short time just to give some supplies to, to the veterinarian tent. So when you go, you actually broke down your thing hauling food. It looked like you had a semi's load with the food in your van. <laughs> the, last, the last picture I saw it going there. Um, so there's, I think a lot of people get fatigued. Like they're like, okay, we've given, and then you know, it's going to be over soon. And with at least what I read and see and hear from people like you, this is going to go on a long time. And you're one of the few places, if you really look at the Black Sea and the Azov Sea, uh, I'm probably saying that wrong, being blocked off now by the Russians, there's really, they're going to come out of Odessa and down through to you. And they can't come through Transnistria, they're into Moldova. So are you seeing a lot more pets than when I was there? 
Unfortunately, the situation in Ukraine in the um, Ur region it's uh, it's very complicated. If so, many of the cities that was usually refugees coming from like uh, Mariupol and Nikolaev are uh, a lot of um, suffering, and unfortunately, the Russian troops are going there, and it's very hard for people to come. And unfortunately, in the few days, there was a smaller number of refugees. Not because the war is over, but because it's very complicated for them to come here. The Russians want them to either stay and be part of this new government or go back into Russian control. Yeah. You see, your, your emotions well up. I, I felt emotional. I, I was trying to make fun of it about having dust in my eyes at the border, but it was really emotional for me, just the glimpse I got for one day there, you know, meeting your, your brother and your mom and your dad, is it hard? For, is it harder for any of you than the others? I mean, you're the only one that speaks really, uh, speaks fluent English. And she taught herself, by the way, Alex, I got to give you props for that. About how do you, you taught yourself that. And Alex is a, is a certified veterinary technician. But just to give you an idea of the world that Alex lives in, her salary is around 500 US dollars per month. The per cap, and that fits right in with the per capita income, Romania is $6,000 a month, or year, excuse me, $6,000 a year per capita income. And so $500 a month, well, we gassed your van up there, uh, and your gas is over $10 a gallon, or diesel. And so it's it's very expensive, but like your family and other people I see from Romania are giving so much of themselves when you, you know, the U.S. per capita income is $72,000. And we're crying because gas is $4.50 a gallon. <laughs> you know, we have no idea. But uh, your, explain about your mom and dad. So your, your dad, is he in his late 40s? Yeah. Early 50s? He's uh, 48. 48. And your mom? She's 46. 46, yeah, so they're together, and then your brother is, you're 25, I think? Yeah, and my brother is uh, 28. 28, and I think your brother's girlfriend works there too, uh, or fiance <laughs> works yeah. at the shelter. Are any of you having a harder time? Is it, is it worse when you go to the border areas with these people, or like what are the highs and lows, and who's it affected the most in your family? Working, well, it's working at the border is the most emotional thing, but also working on the phone because most of the people are phoning me and sending me text and it's very hard for me to help them. Most of them are sending me messages from Ukraine and uh, this is the most emotional uh, way because I cannot help them. Most of them, I cannot like going physically there to help them. So I'm uh, always tells them, okay, come here, find the solution to come here in Romania, and I'm going to help you. Um, a few days ago, there was a lady that had uh, 16 animals, and she came in Romania, and she asked me to help her and her mom, and also her friend with her child to find a shelter here. I didn't have enough space for all the dogs, but I found her a shelter and for the lady with child, I found her a job, so I saved all the family together, and all the mm. dogs were staying together in the same shelter, and she was so happy, and I'm still in contact with her, and she's still sending me messages, and 
a lot of people from Ukraine was um, also sending me messages telling, okay, you help it, Anna. I need help also. And it's very complicated for me because I cannot help them all. But I, I do my best. Because I'm, I will not, I was never and I will not cope and focus only on animals, but also helping their families, helping ch children and uh, people. I noticed when I, I when I went over to see you, I took four cases uh, full of dog toys, uh, but I noticed you repurposed them as kids' toys because they, they're the same. I did. So I see you giving out the, the little toys to pets and people. You, you you had mentioned one thing. A lot of what it was really life changing for me to go over there, Alex, to to work with you, to work with, see the other Alex at the border has this big dream of a sanctuary for wildlife and everything, you know. Such big hearts. Uh, see the people, because I used to end a radio show by saying, there's only one greatest pet in the world and every family has her. And I'm Dr. Marty Becker. Well, hey, I got cutie pie sitting here next to me. And we always talk about what would you sacrifice? Of course, I take him to a, the veterinarian and, and do whatever treatment was recommended. Would I risk my life? Uh, I say I would, but in going to the border there, you get to see people that actually did and do and and you were saying because you're so small i mean one of the things that killed me is you know i don't know whether i'm getting early dementia or whatever i can't remember anything anymore at 68 and there you record you knew the names of all 300 dogs in there which i'm thinking this has got to be some kind of mind trick or something you know but your mom and dad did and your brother did too and so uh, it was one of those remarkable things to see the end not only that, you knew the medical history and the the issues this pets face and the needs for certain vaccinations. But I know a lot of times, you know, if you're in a crisis, you're you're uh, you have no patience, and so you know you're you're running to the border, you're coming back from the border, you're helping Anna, and then people expect you on emails or phone calls. How come you're not getting back to me, right? So I think you probably have the worst of it because you're. I don't think your mom and dad and things do that piece of it, do they? I'm I'm the alone that is doing the the social media part and all the situation with Ukraine because it's very complicated for my mom and dad to speak with all the people. Sometimes you need to to hurry up and translate from from Russian to English or to Romanian, and it's very complicated. And you need to do it fast because um, people don't have um, signal all the time. And if you want to help them, you need to, to hurry up and get help in the time. See, that makes perfect sense when you say it. Either battery's down or they're in danger. They got a little time to talk or they're borrowing somebody's phone. When we were there, you were worried because the food you were taking, your distribution system inside of Ukraine had kind of broken down because of war. You know, it wasn't safe for people to be in certain places. I see things online of people sneaking back to feed cats in villages and things. These, uh, I know people have lost their lives trying to get to shelters to feed and water dogs, and some <clears throat> didn't make it in time. Are you? Are you? Is that part of why you want to go into U Ukraine, as you say it, to to try to identify places or meet people? I, What's I'm, your purpose there? I'm uh, I'm making a, a meeting. In Ukraine, with all the volunteers from Odessa, Nikolaev, and Herson, they are all going to to meet us in um, Ismail. 
and you are going to make plans and big list of what is necessary now in Ukraine and to see how we are going to help because you are needing to find transport, you are needing to find volunteers, we are needing to find veterinarians to go there. There are many shelters that need veterinarians because as I said, I'm helping as the dogs that need uh, medical care. But sometimes dog situation is um, uh, very bad and they cannot travel. So it's very necessary to have veterinarians going there. It's very risky, but uh, I, I will never stop hoping I'm going to find someone to go there. One of the things I noticed there, and, and again, I, I, I've been a global traveler, but I've never quite been involved with something like this. And really, when you think of four suitcases of dog toys, yeah, it's nice, but really money helps because you buy things locally and that helps the local economy. That's one of the things I didn't quite realize. The more that you can buy locally, whether it's from a veterinary distributor or uh, a pet supply places, boys up the economy locally. and and let's face it, this is a strain, you know, to take in, Romania is not a wealthy country, and Moldova is worse, and to to keep giving and giving and giving is really hard. Do, do you have, um, uh, like, because I can say safe, is, safe Haven is veterinary approved. By, it's not only veterinary approved by World Vets, who has worked with you for a long time. And I'm a board member, but I actually got to see it myself and was, was really touched at a deep soul level. I will tell you that uh, by and that was the that was the first chapter was the first visit was really to your place. And then, you know, this, this book into being in Moldova at another veterinarian there who through World Vets was donating all of their every every everything that came to that clinic, the, the costs were covered. T tell us what your needs are and how we can donate to you. People can donate it via website on savalsehaven.com. They can also send uh, direct to the shelter. Maybe it's easier for them to get supplies and donate it uh, direct to the shelter. Because it's, uh, it's also easy for us to get uh, like um, donated to stuff like food, Medicine, the most necessary now, it's medicine. And um, as I always say, parasite control is the most necessary. Now I'm going to Ukraine with uh, 1,000 parasite control treatment for animals. And I need to, um, to give it to about 2,000 animals. So I need to share it very well because I don't have for all the animals. It's very hard to find it in Romania. It's very expensive here. Yeah, so when you look at when we're talking about, we're talking about, uh, you know, the things we use here of, you know, Brevecto or Semperica or Frontline Plus or those kind of things. I mean, they are, those animals they're seeing are infested and all of the animals at Save and Safe Haven have been treated. So, you know, again, there's always a risk of bringing things in, but you're, you're, you're doing it. And so, so, and Save and Safe Haven is with a S, S-A-V-A-S safe haven uh, and then um, so if you want this you want to see the money go directly i can tell you there there's there's really no overhead world vets is another great place to to things that they'll continue they, i think they have a group coming there right now to help you uh, yes do they, some they mass will come here in the weekend they are going to come here in the weekend and um, they will volunteer in the shelter and also to the border 
yeah, they had a lot. They had bringing a lot of supplies. Or some states just really hard to get. Like I can't imagine a place with more fear, anxiety, and stress than th- that border area and coming to your shelter. And one of the things that uh, we've uh, are helping to get you is a product called Serenia, which we use here routinely during surgeries to prevent animal from from vomiting, but it also is an amazing product for uh, motion sickness and things like that. So kind of an invisible cork in both ends, which some stuff you just, it is so hard and so expensive. It is just, just be prohibitive. Um, somebody, somebody, I went to that tent at the border and there's, it's funny how you see jockeying for fundraising. So there'll be a tent of somebody that's not really doing anything from another country that's first in line. So when you come off, you almost come to them and, and it's really difficult to kind of sort that out. I know there was a group out of, uh, in the one tent was sponsored by somebody in California or Colorado. Do you know that group, Alex? Oh, the, well, t- do you know the group that runs that tent? What is it? Street Dog Coalition? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. And so uh, you might look up Street Dog Coalition as well. Uh, if you want to su- support something right there on the border, because I, um, they said I overlooked them last time and it was unintentional. I literally didn't even know who it was when I went in there. There's just so many people trying to help. But I tell you, I was in, I was over there for 10 days and gone. I plan on coming back. And most of us that go over there are there for a week or two and then gone back. Save his mom and her dad and her brother and his girlfriend, unfortunately now not Alex's boyfriend anymore. We found out before we started recording, we'll be, we'll be there helping now. But um, I just an amazing family, an amazing facility. And I, I definitely plan on coming back. I hope others can experience the joy of trying to help you. And Mikkel, from the outside, you've heard my stories of coming back and listen to this thing is there anything that comes to mind for you as a as a trainer because they were seeing quite a few incidents of dog bites and things because you know just imagine these pets going through they're on a ferry all together with all these pets and people everybody's stressed out then they got to go through the you know you know it's like going through a border oh you know it's like going through a border and then uh, they go into the tent and a whole bunch of people rush together to them and and Alex and them, they have to transport. What's the most dogs you've transported in that van before? Uh, it's uh, complicated. And now it's, there it's uh, more complicated for us with the transport because um, you are still getting, uh, you are still needing to get the van is that uh, need to be for the shelter. But it's very complicated for transport, like you need uh, more spaces in the car, but also you have a limit of animals that need to be transported. Yeah, you need it. We definitely, you need a, you need a van to transport supplies and things because that's your transportation and you need a van to transport animals. That's one of the things we're hoping to do is raise enough money that you could get a used van. But I believe the one just, just used too much, wasn't it? Just kind of overworked and broke down. Unfortunately, like, uh, Ten days ago, the the car had broken. Now it's uh, repaired, and I hope will be repaired because I'm going uh, Friday with that van in Ukraine, and I hope it's not broken in Ukraine. <laughs> it will be a was terror it, for it, me. Was it a transmission engine? What was it? It was engine. Oh no! Well, it was the most complicated. You, oh gosh! Well, I was in that van for long periods of time because you also took it up to. Uh, 
is it Yeesh? How do I pronounce it? Where the veterinary school was, where you had dreamed of going to veterinary school. Yeesh? Yes. 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 Yeah, Yes was up there, of course, to Moldova. And you know, Alexandra dreamed of always being a veterinarian, but she felt the call of the shelter and didn't want to be away from her parents in the shelter, so she became a veterinary technician. But uh, the dean of the school there was still wants to get her get his hooks into her and get her back up there to become a veterinarian. But anyway, Mikkel, let me uh, stop here. Again, hope to see you again soon, Alex. Blessings to you. Say hi to all your family. Thank from you us, so okay? much. Thank you so much. You need okay. to come back because you have adopted Sally, so you need to come back and take care. I tell her, yeah, absolutely. Tell her I'm coming. <laughs> Just don't tell uh, Mikkel's, tell Mikkel's, uh, she won't tell her mom that we're going to get that dog when we come back. <laughs> we each promised I, I, told, I told Alex that I want to join as well. I, I felt the call the first time, and, and especially this time around, like just hearing the stories, like I definitely feel that that passion. and compassion to be able to support you financially and then to be able to be there in person. And I would love to be able to help, you know, pets to be able to recover emotionally. I'm even thinking of the story with Ricky and just that, that anxiety he feels upon separation. And, you know, I think there are so many different ways that we can help to make that, um, uh, not, a. a an experience that's free of stress, but as fear-free as it can be. So to make it as easy emotionally and physically on those pets. And I just thank you so much for everything that you've done and really looking forward to meeting you in person here soon. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice day here. It's evening, so I'm going to sleep. Have a nice day. Now for our second guest, Eli Frankovich. He is a reporter for the Spokesman Review, the smallest newspaper in the U.S. to send someone to Ukraine to exclusively cover the conflict. He joined Dr. Marty Becker in Romania while he was on story to learn more about the pet situation. Hi, Eli. Hi, Marty. So good to have you both here with me today. I want to hear all about your experience on the Ukraine border and just any takeaways that you had. It sounds like it was just really a profound experience that a lot of us would have liked to have had and haven't had the chance to be able to actually go there in person. So love for you to be able to tell us all about it. So, so you first, were you drawn to that story to go to when the war started or did somebody assign you? You're a Gonzaga graduate. You don't really have the typical look like you'd see with a correspondent. I think in some people's eyes would think of somebody much older. How did you actually end up in that region to cover the war? Yeah, so what happened was um, when the war started or when Russia sort of invaded uh, on February 24th, Obviously, every, it was a ton. Everyone was thinking about that. It was on everyone's mind. And I um, called one of my editors and said, hey, if there's any uh, local tie-ins, I would love to go and cover them. And, you know, that was a long shot. And he said, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. But he noted it. And then um, a week or two later, uh, this um, medical doctor from Spokane was heading over to work at a um, Ukrainian military hospital. And so me and my editor chatted and put together a pitch um, and then kind of ran it up the flagpole. And at sort of at each step of the way, it was like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. And then it continued to happen until finally got approval and um, flew out on March 8th. So it was it was my idea, but then I, I had a sort of a champion in, in my direct editor, Jonathan Brunt. Um, but it is totally, yeah, I think we're the, we're de we're the smallest newspaper to have, to have sent someone to Eastern Europe to cover that, um, and, and definitely not something that was expected. 
you know, you and I have spoken about traveling the world and you have an impression of a place. Let's say it's Paris or it's it's Bangkok or somewhere, and then you actually get there and it's different. Tell me what your impressions were going to be of being in Poland on the border with Ukraine and seeing these people and what you actually experienced once you were there. I think, so when I was actually in Ukraine, I was in Lviv, which is a far, a far Western city. So I was quite far from the front, like 400 miles from the front lines at that point. And Lviv was this really interesting and kind of um, strange, uh, contrast between normal life so like there's i went to a cat cafe actually which fits nicely into this program and you know so cats hanging out and people drinking coffee and, and whatnot and it was very like pleasant it's a beautiful city um and restaurants and things like that but then you also have tons of military checkpoints and air raid sirens um and so it was this sort of this weird contrast of like like normal life and have people going about their normal life um kind of under the shadow of, of a war and refugees and um, yeah, all of that. So that was really, that was an interesting contrast and a, a major impression for me of Ukraine. Poland, um, my big impression there was sort of, there, there'd been this like huge humanitarian outpour, like outpouring from the, from the Poles of, you know, welcoming Ukrainians and putting them up in their apartments. Um, the Polish government was is paying them, the Ukrainians, like giving them money each month, putting the kids in school. I think when I was there at that point, like a, a month into the war, 30 or 40,000 Ukrainian kids had entered the Warsaw school district, just the war, just in Warsaw in the last month, which is, I mean, that's just insane number of new students to onboard. Um, so there was this like, there's, there'd been this like huge outpouring and then a lot of the Polish people I were ta I talked to were like, okay, so what's next? Like, how, how is this sustained? Like, how, what is the long-term, uh, what does this look like long-term? Because they knew and everyone knew that, like, international attention was going to shift. Um, and it has. It's, like, definitely not in the news as much, uh, at least in U.S. media. And so I think that's something they're still um, wrestling with. And then the other Polish, imp like, impression I had was, you know, like we we're so isolated in the U.S. from war. Like we haven't had a war in, in the U.S. since like the Civil War, right? And so we just don't. There's no like cultural memory of what that means, and that's not the case in Poland. And um, it's so much more fresh. I mean, there's people alive there, right? That <laughs> that uh, went through World War Two to a few, and then even more that kind of grew up in the post-war um, world. So. That was it. That that was another big impression. That's a great thing about travel. You know, you think of uh, Memorial Day, which is is recent, and we visit people. Very few of most people's families have died in the war on their own soil, and so here you would probably go and have people in there. And and uh, I'm not even sure. I know Poland's been tussled, pulled in different directions over many years in many different wars, and. And, and I too had that same thing about them giving. You know, I didn't go to Poland, went to Moldova and Romania, but the people that had so little were giving so much. I remember before I went to Romania and Moldova, uh, I like to see I like to see when I go to a different country what their religion is, what their currency is, what their per capita income is. And R Romania was uh, $6,000 per year. Moldova was $4,000 per year. And you and I both saw over $10 a gallon gasoline. So you figure out the, you know, we worked with the veterinary technician, which we're going to talk about in a moment. 
She makes $500 a month. And I filled their van up. It was a 50-gallon tank, and it was over $500 to fill, a, fill the tank up on that van they used for one, one single time. You know, it's funny if you think about that. I've never been that close to a war zone. I've traveled you know, all seven continents. But to see the, the trauma of people and hear the stories of somebody, you, you lose your, often lost their house. I mean, not they don't leave their house. Their house is gone. And family members that had had been killed or they didn't know where they were, what they were going to come back to, if ever come back, it's pretty... Yeah, and you have to remember that most of these, I mean, pretty much everyone I talked to are women and children because uh, men from 18 to 60 weren't allowed to leave the country. And so they, they almost every, almost everyone had left a brother or a husband or a son behind. You and I first meet up at a, at a nice hotel, I think a Sheraton in Bucharest, the capital of Romania. And we'd made a connection with Alex from Save a Safe Haven, which was a non-governmental, non-profit, family-owned shelter. You know, we get in this van, we're all, we're chit-chatting, and then we end up at a rest stop. I think that's one of the first times I I knew this was going to be something special. And, and I don't think you and I had, had known at the time, if there's ever a wide spot in the road in Romania, there's going to be uh, dogs that live there. That's their home, is that little spot where people pull off because they beg and are fed. And... So we pull in and they pull down to the side of it and we went in to get something to a snack or something to come out and sure enough, there were the, the dogs out there. And do you remember they open the back up and start getting food and treats and everything out for their dogs. And we see yeah. that big old guy down there just rubbing that dog's belly and talking to him. Yeah, and that was a big di even uh, contrast between Poland and Romania. Was there's so few stray animals in Poland? Um, I actually don't think I saw one, uh, and then such a such a common common thing in Romania. Yeah, you remember everywhere we stopped. If we ever slowed down, or you'd see you'd pull up to a, even an intersection. If there's a spot there, these dogs would come up. But there, yeah, a lot of stray dogs there. So we go we go to the next day. We go to save a safe haven and, and i gotta admit it was a little funny because you're in a foreign country and you're going out in the country and as i recall it we're driving along out in the middle of a field to our left it was kind of I, I don't think oh i certainly wouldn't recognize it as a shelter and all of yeah, a sudden it we, like any, i had no idea where we were going at that point <laughs> yeah, m myself either. Out in the middle of these fields was some structures, which you couldn't really see. And you come down this this lane, and we get down to the end, and we go inside some, first of all, with some storage containers that had, they were getting ready to set up an isolation area for pets coming from Ukraine, because there they, Ukraine is not rabies-free. Romania is rabies-free, and Moldova is rabies-free, and Poland is rabies-free. So you got to be very careful about bringing rabies into a country. They required a 20, 21 day quarantine. But then we get to the main gate of Save a Safe Haven. What do you remember from opening, when they opened those doors up, what we were greeted with? Oh, just like a chorus of barking. And <laughs> yeah, there was uh, so many, so many animals in there. And, they and were, if, yeah, if you remember, they, do, they don't, didn't look like, they didn't look like dogs you see at a shelter here. There were so many. They were medium to small, some big dogs, but very few. But you talk about every make and model. 
there was, and they were happy, you know, there was this, they were delighted, first of all, to see the Seva as their last name. So Seva Safe Haven is a family name, but there was just excitement, everybody's happy. And then you saw little pods of dogs that were in their little miniature groups over there. But uh, I remember the fact that there was no feces, that there was no smell. It wasn't, you know, kind of an indoor outdoor facility, but I don't think I've ever seen anything like that that had no smell of feces. And, you know, it wasn't like they prepared it just for us, very clean. Yeah, and I'm not as familiar with, with you know, uh, shelters and whatnot as you are, but I couldn't believe there wasn't like fighting, like dogs fighting each other. It seemed. seemed oh, no, that was unusual. Eli, we saw one, there was a newer dog that had come there that was resource guarding a little bit. And there was just a little bit of, but no, you know, the the fur didn't fly, but that was it. And 300 plus dogs. Uh, I was too shocked that they knew every dog's name. They knew their medical history. They knew where they came from by memory. They had very detailed notes, but but just by just by memory. Mikkel, when you see a dog, like, would that be unusual to have 300 dogs together and not see interspecies aggression? And we were, we were new. They had never seen Eli and I. And I also had a bag of bones, a big bag of dog bones that she gave me. And one of my favorite books was always When Bones Would Rain From The Sky. And so I remember sitting down, oh, heck with it. I just sat down on the thing and started throwing bones up in the air, and they come raining down in there. Is, is that unusual, what we saw? Definitely, highly unusual. It makes me wonder, you know, if it's just the, the dogs will definitely behave, behave differently when they're in a big group versus just a couple dogs or a few dogs, several animals. I also wonder if that's part of their experience. If you do get a lot of street dogs or dogs that are, you know, able to, to wander more, that they learn to, to better navigate those social dynamics versus like a domesticated dog here where they spend most of the time in the house, they're on leash, they're only taking the dog park. So I would imagine that they probably experience life a lot, uh, like in a far different way than what our domesticated dogs here experience life, but I could see it being the, the situation as well. So. I would definitely be interested in how that happens. Where we were was very close to the Moldova-Ukraine-Romanian borders. So Moldova is not very far from where we were. We were on the border there and it was was no bridge. It was a ferry bringing people across. And, and I, unlike you, I hadn't, hadn't been to a border crossing area and I was, it was kind of different. Like it reminded me of that. I hate, I hate cliches, but it, let's say what it takes a village, there were, the typical Red Cross, the World Vision, the UNICEFs, and then a bunch of other collective collective uh, th- organizations that I didn't know anything about. Was that, was that border area similar to what you saw in Poland or was it more, that was a land, a land border. How are those two different? Yeah, the Polish border, it was, it was similar. It had the same sort of services. It was just smaller scale. The Polish border that I was at was one of the biggest crossing points um and so it was just more of everything basically but it was but same kind of setup like this the the basic services you just mentioned and the the red cross and whatnot you know one of the things the first times i think when when was pretty touching and you featured this in your story was that family that came across they because there were cars there and then there were people walking off of there 
and that family, I'd like to see how you described them. I'm not going to tell you how I've described them to people. Like for people that have never seen those three, how would you have described them? Yeah, it was a mom and her two kids, if I recall. Um, and then they had a dog, a cat, and what was the other? A hamster, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, how, I don't know. She was probably in her maybe late 30s, something like that. And the kids were younger and, I don't know, seven, seven and ten or so. Or so. Um, to me, they seemed kind of, yeah, a little shocked and overwhelmed. And I mean, especially as they're entering, there's all this, all this stuff happening, people talking to them. Um, but very, but kind of, I don't know, I was impressed by their composure, even with all this, you know, all this stimulus and what they had just been through a two day travel, you know, fl fleeing. Uh, I forget where they're from exactly. But anyways, yeah, that, that was my first impression of them. Well, you know what, I, I, I always joke that I exaggerate all the time or, you know, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. But that's exactly how I remember that. She was late thirties, well-dressed, poised, had a, had a Doberman that was really nice and shiny, had a muzzle on. I described that girl as 12. She might've been 10 to 12, but had a backpack on with a bubble in the back. And then there was that cat. And then the littlest girl who I think I said she was six or seven too, had a, hamster hamster uh, habitat just like you would see see as a kid or seen in the store where it's kind of pastel colors yellows and greens and reds and a little hamster in there and I remember we were we were talking to them about their their journey I remember that little girl I asked her the name of the of her of her hamster and she told me it was her best friend I'll never forget that she goes he's my best friend and then when she left she was waving to somebody and at first I thought she was maybe waving us. I didn't wave back, but it was her husband and I believe her, her husband's dad yeah. that were there to greet them. So they had been separated for a while. And yeah, he was were, working in Poland is, is my understanding. Yeah, and you were kind of in the, right in the middle of that interaction. I was standing back a ways, but I noticed her, the Doberman rose up and gave him the, you know, big old kiss. He was, the Doberman was so excited to see him. and. And I remember at one spot where he was kneeling down and that little girl was, had, the, had the little hamster cage out there and he was looking in the hamster thing and I was telling people, I think I got dust in my eyes. You know, I was really joking up at that. But what do you, what do you remember of that reunion? Well, yeah, I mean, just that, how, I mean, how sweet it was to be able to witness that, um, both the, the humans reconnecting, but then seeing that, just how excited the Doberman was when, as they were walking out of the, Kind of the um, the the um, border like visa control or passport control area, the dog started to like lunge forward, and I didn't realize what was going on. I was kind of ahead of them, and then she let go of the dog's leash, and it the dog was just gone, and I was like, "Oh, what's going on here?" And he was just like, "Zoom," you know, and then then I realized like, "Oh, that's like her husband or someone they know at that point," and the dog jumped into the guy's arms, and yeah, it was very sweet. I think. I was a bit skeptical going into that whole story just because of how much human suffering there is, you know, and so it's sort of like, well, what, you know, why do, why, why care about pets? And I, I mean, talking to you and thinking about, thinking it through a little bit, but then seeing that it was like a sort of a full, full switch on that thinking for, for myself and seeing really the impact that, um, yeah, like that reunion had <laughs> on, on that family.
So, so I have a question for you right there. So in, in what ways did you find, Eli, that pets were so important to people during this, this whole time of crisis that they were going through? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it is just the stability of, of kind of, like Marty had mentioned, losing a home, um, all, you know, leaving behind your husband or brother or son, but you can take your, you can take your Doberman and, and at least you have that. Um, I think that was a huge thing. I think I asked Marty this too for my story, like, why, why does this matter basically? And, um, you said something along the, along the lines of like, yeah, this, like everything, everything's changed. Everything shifted in your life because of this war, but you still know that no matter what happens, like this dog or this cat, well, maybe a cat, this dog's going to love you <laughs> no matter what. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, that really stuck with me. And I, I definitely saw that in Romania. Eli, I'm interested in something, and, and I didn't get a chance to ask you there. You go as a journalist, and but how do you, as a journalist, how do you get into the story with... Like, do you have to gain a trust with somebody? Do you have to gain a friendship? Are people, do you see it mixed? Are people are skeptical to tell their story or eager to tell a story? T tell us what it's like as a journalist going over there uh, to, to do a, because you're there to do a job. You're there to report a story and find a story. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I think generally speaking, um, the the more reluctant someone is to talk to you about their story you, usually means the story's better, um, and so you have to work harder to, to build trust, and um, I try to always be very upfront about that I, I, I am, this is my job, and, um, you know, we're, it, it, if we, we might spend a lot of time together, but I'm still doing my job, and you have to remember that, and um, that there's some transaction in the relationship, and I think that can be tricky, um, because yeah just it's easy to forget that but it's it's my job i'm here to do a job i'm getting paid for it um so that's i try to be very upfront about that when i'm doing anything in poland and romania it was i mean still being upfront about that and who i am why i'm there it's it was more difficult because of the language barrier and so working through a translator or through a phone um, makes it it's not as smooth that kind of communication and these refugees were like going somewhere. They didn't have like a, I mean, they didn't want to just like sit down and chat for the most part. Um, so it was a much kind of quicker, kind of condensed um, interaction. Um, let's see, did I miss anything on your question? Yeah, did that answer it? Are, are, yeah, are you, are you taught in school? You're at Gonzaga. Mikkel went to the Editor Miro College of Communication at Washington State. Are you guys taught how to get that story like you talked about often the more reluctant they are sometimes the better the story are you actually taught that or is it something you're taught by a mentor once you're out or are you a combination I mean I think it's a combination you're taught sort of the basics of, of some of that and so I was in school um, like sort of basic interviewing practices but it's like for me I learned the most once I was actually doing it because you just you figure out like it's really, it's like, it's like, a, it's like going on a bunch of first dates actually. Cause it's like, you just sit down and you've got to like make a connection. You don't know this person at all. Um, and, and you, you know, you, yeah, it's, it's a very condensed sort of like, like, who are you? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and you, you learn, I don't know, you just kind of learn how to do that by doing it, I guess. 
I think the the big things that I figured out after working professionally is like you have to be honest about that transactional part of it, um, and you also like for me I'm, I tend to like not want to share a lot of my personal life, particularly with people I'm working with like like sources. But at some point you do have to like show that you know like be just a normal human and not be sort of like totally removed and reserved. And I and I think um, at least at the beginning of my career I was a lot more like stiff and less willing to like to just kind of like open up to, to sources so yeah one of the things you said that I, I thought that I took note of is like you you tell people I am there to do a story and even though it may seem casual to remember I am doing a story I saw how you wore me down over days gaining my trust to where you could probe deep into the Becker family <laughs> <laughs> No, we had such a good time. I was, I was really, I was really in kind of awe and appreciation of the story you were doing. I noticed your manner with people, and because you're, they're kind of a photojournalist, where sometimes you might work with a photographer and you're the journalist, but here you were like a photojournalist. And so, I have, I have two more questions. One is if you were, do you have a mental snapshot? Is there one? I'm sure you have. You know, your mind's eye has many memories. Is there one that stands out from your your uh, six weeks over there working. Yeah, I so on the Polish border, it was one of those night shit. It was like two or three in the morning, and this family came in, um, and they had just left. They had they had been living in um, Mariupol, and they had sort of or near Mariupol, which is one of the besieged like worst sort of besieged cities. And they had been traveling for two days. It was a um, husband, wife, and son, and then a, a cousin, I believe. And the husband was able to leave because he was actually Egyptian. He was, he was not a Ukrainian citizen. Um, so they came in, and the kid, the little kid, he was seven. I forget his name, but he came in, and he was, like, totally, like, shut down. Like, just, like, like curled in on himself. Um and it was cold and they had been in line for a couple hours to get into Poland. And one of the doctors that was working that night was American, but you, um, his, his, his parents had been born in Ukraine. And so he spoke Ukrainian and he was there to sort of, for obvious reasons, he had, you know, family still in Ukraine, like distant family. And so this guy started to talk to this kid and like play with him. And like after an hour or two of just hanging out and maybe an hour, the kid was just like, he was just like so like happy playing laughing like just like it looked like a normal kid and i think that was it that was a that's a snapshot for me because it showed both like sort of the the awfulness of any war like the, just the human toll like the people that and this doesn't matter where it's in afghanistan or syria or whatever it's terrible what's hap what happens to just normal people when when countries go to war um but you also saw sort of like, oh yeah, but it's like recoverable, like especially for children, like that there's there's some hope there. So I think that stands out. So a couple follow-up questions for both of you. I, I would be curious to know if you could, from your experience of being over there and seeing just the impact of war and just all, all of the just mix of emotions and I can't even imagine everything you went through like and, and what you're seeing people go through. A couple of questions I have is, first of all, what's like the big 
takeaway that you had kind of emotionally from that experience? And what is something that you wish that people knew about being over there that you experienced directly that you might not actually see on mainstream media? I think a big takeaway for me was um, kind of what I mentioned at the beginning of all this, just how distanced we as Americans have been from from war. Um, And I I would hope that people can at least think, keep that in their mind, like intellectually. I I don't think it's, you're ever going to really feel it. Um, Like I I don't still don't know what it feels like. I'm just observing it. Right. But to at least remember like that you don't know, I think is a, is a huge part. Um, Yeah. I I think that's, that's a big one. Um, And, and kind of along with that is just that regardless of the politics or the, the whatever geopolitical whatever it is like the people who are suffering are like kids and women and generally speaking poor people (laughs) and that's that's just what that's how war works and um i i think that there's been a lot of compassion and and concern about the ukrainian war as there should be but there's terrible things going on in you know Syria like so many places and so if we can to whatever extent we as like very lucky and and um, luxurious Americans can expand our sort of horizon of care I think that's good so so are there any action steps that people can take to be able to help pets and people over in that region I, I'm not sure what Eli's going to say. I know the Red Cross has always been good, in, whether it's domestic or international, to help people. Worldvets.org, uh, I'm on the board, and I can truly tell you that they do a lot of good over there. Even since Eli and I were there, they've sent teams over to help uh, spay and neuter those hundreds of pets that they're seeing at Save a Safe Haven. And then Save a Safe Haven is something that I'll never forget, the interactions with them there uh, in traveling, uh, post visiting there and so I would really highly encourage you to make a donation to help them there the van they had Eli broke down they were hauling too much food and it wasn't meant for those kind of loads and broke down they had to get it fixed they want another one to transport animals I mean they're seeing hundreds of animals come across there and if you ever want if that shelter was in Spokane Washington those 300 dogs wouldn't last a week they are so cute and the every shape and size and sweet they would be gone in uh they'd definitely be gone in a week and these dogs are often going to england and sweden and norway and germany places switzerland places where they don't have a pet overpopulation so let's see what we can do to help them find homes and then help these ukrainian pets that are coming there as well Wonderful. Thank you both so much for all of those words. It's very touching. My greatest takeaway, I love that story about the girl going across the border and having her best friend being the hamster. And it just reminds me so much of just that same love that I had as a girl and still have for my pets and just how important that, that love is and being able to keep pets with their people and keeping them safe. So thank you both so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Happy Paws. We hope you continue tuning in every two weeks as we explore more about your pets. On the next episode, we're welcoming Education Manager for Fear Free Pets, Lori Chamberlain, to the studio to explore just what is a good dog, what we can realistically expect from our pet's behavior, and how to set your dog up for success. 
Make sure you subscribe to avoid missing out on any upcoming Happy Paws episodes. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you took a minute and left us a review. For more content like this and much more, visit us at fearfreehappyhomes.com. Our music is by 310. That's the number 3, the word 1, and the word O. Follow them on Instagram at 310official and listen to them on Spotify or wherever else you find your music.